how should the church understand the union of Christ's divine and human natures? And this was a hot topic, especially in the fifth century. Welcome to Apologetic Simplified, a podcast about Christianity, theology, and culture. Hit subscribe to be notified of each new episode. And now, here's your hosts, Leah Chapman and Andrew Foster. And welcome to another episode of Apologetic Simplified. We are so glad that you're able to listen to us talk about things. Yet again. (laughs) And today we will be continuing our series for this season, which is brought to you by the letter H. H is for heresy. Can you say heresy, boys and girls? Heresy? Heresy. Heresy. Oh, like like on your head. Yes. Hair. I see. (laughs) What if we just did the whole episode like this? This Whatever it is a word. Can you say this? Oh my gosh. I think I'd stop listening. (laughs) Are you done? (laughs) So, So Leah, what are we talking about specifically today? Well, today we're actually going to cover two different heresies. Um, (laughs) Now I'm thinking like, just like you have more than one hair on your head, there are many heresies. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're talking about, um, but one particular issue though, how should the church understand the union of Christ's divine and human natures? And this was a hot topic, especially in the fifth century. Everyone had different opinions, many of which ended up being heretical, but they're all just trying to understand how to understand the the union of Christ's divine and human natures. And this was very complicated. Um, We have a nice clean definition now, but it's the 21st century. We've had a lot of time to work on this, Uh, but actually thanks to this debate, uh, this actually led to a further understanding and importantly, a word to help us understand the union of the divine and human nature. And just like the Trinity concept had been around before the word Trinity, but the word itself, Trinity, helped us to understand the nature of God. So also this term that we're going to learn, the concept had been around, but the term just helps us understand it a little bit better. And we get this term thanks to this debate. So we are going to talk about Nestorianism, which was founded by a guy named Nestorius, and Eutychianism, founded by a guy named Eutychus. Um, Eutychus was a monk, Nestorius was a bishop, and they had two very different ideas about how Jesus's human and divine natures worked together. So we're going to get right into all of that right after our first segment break. Sayeth what? Sayeth what? So you've probably heard that Jeff Bezos went to space and probably what you've heard or seen about that is the um, interesting shape of his rocket. But we are not going to talk about the shape of the rocket because I was interested to learn more about this space flight of this like bajillionaire. So I Googled it and there's actually a lot of really interesting things happening or that happened around it. So it uh, blasted into space, according to this AP News article, um, on Tuesday, the whatever it was, I guess the 20th. Very precise. Yeah, the 20th, July 20th. (laughs) On Tuesday, the whatever it was. Whatever it was. Whichever one. A week ago today, two weeks ago, when you'll be hearing this, unless you're listening to it later. Anyway, on Tuesday, July 20th, blasted into space. Um, this is the first space flight with 
all civilians. So I found this so fascinating. This was all computer powered. So they programmed in this flight. It lasted less than, after about 10 minutes, lasted about 10 minutes. And it was all computer driven. They did many test flights to make sure it was safe, you know, for people to get in it. Um, But it was boarded by, let's see, obviously Jeff Bezos. He's not going to you know, create a rocket to go to space and not go. So he was there. His brother was there. And there was an 18-year-old from the Netherlands and an 82-year-old aviation pioneer from Texas, which uh, makes the youngest and oldest people to ever fly into space. So they're breaking records all over the place. Civilian-only flight, oldest, youngest. So it was only 10 minutes. So there's that too. It landed in remote West Texas. Uh, People were saying that they saw it from El Paso landing. So I imagine that um, it was near El Paso. And I just found it was really, thought it was really interesting. The only thing people are talking about is the shape of the rocket and the fact that now, oh, well, now billionaires can go to space, which I mean, yeah, they're probably the ones who can afford it. But I mean, when cars came out, only the super rich could afford those too. So maybe one day we'll all have a rocket. We have a rocket license. <laughs> I mean, okay, so that's what I'm wondering. Is because you need a license and registration to operate like anything with a motor. If I want to get a boat, which I was looking into, um, you, and you put a motor on it, suddenly I have to register it with the state of Texas. So would there be like space police too that would pull you over? I mean, we're moving into some serious like Star Trek territory thanks to this, oh, yeah. I think. So anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. The flight lasted 10 minutes and 10 seconds. It says five minutes shy of Alan Shepard's Freedom 7 flight in 1961. So yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I I mean, okay, so it's computer operated and I know they did tests and stuff, but uh, what was the operating system? Because if it's Windows, I hope that, you know, you hope they updated it in advance. Don't want to be like halfway up and then Windows update starting now, going down. <laughs> Uh-oh. I I wonder if Alexa was like talking to them, right? Mm. That'd be pretty cool. Taking flight. <laughs> Are you ready to take flight? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the most disappointing part of this whole, of this whole thing is the fact that Bezos' first words when he landed were, best day ever. You can't come up with something better than that. I mean, I'm sure it was the best day ever, but still, something more epic. Come on. We expect more. So anyway. Come on, on, rich people. (laughs) Stop letting us down. Come on, get it right. So anyway, that's been Say What. Say it. What? And we are back talking about two different heresies talking about Nestorianism and Eutychianism. Today, my major source uh, that I used to prepare this was from The History of Christian Doctrine by Louis Burkhoff, who was an early 20th century theologian and um, just found it on Logos Bible Software. I know you've heard me talk about that. So great to be able to just search on Logos and find everything I need. It was pretty great. So um, that's where, if we're reading a quote, it is all Louis Burkhoff. And um, a lot of these notes are from reading his history of Christian doctrine. And so our first quote from Burkhoff is this, the church was in quest. I love the word quest. The church was in quest of a conception of Christ that would do justice to the following points. And he lists four points. A, the true and proper deity of Christ. B, his true and proper humanity, 
C, the union of deity and humanity in one person, and D, the proper distinction of deity from humanity in the one person. So they're trying to figure out how to reconcile his humanity, Christ's humanity, and Christ's um, deity. And that's not a simple thing to do. There's a reason this took time. There was a predominant view, which is the view that we still hold today, but there were also many other views, which yes, ended up being heresy um, that people debated as they were trying to understand this fairly complicated concept of Christ. Because even though we have a definition and a term for it now, it still blows many people's minds. Um, And rightly so, because Jesus is God. And if we could fully wrap our minds around God, uh, that may make me question um, how great this God really is. So now, um, and since we're in the Olympics, I'll say I'll pass the torch to Andrew to lead us in to this discussion. Yes. Yeah, so before we talk about the faulty beliefs, we should talk about the proper beliefs or orthodox beliefs. And this comes down to a thing called the hypostatic union. Can you say hypostatic <laughs> union? Wait, I thought I thought our age word today was heresy, not hypostatic union. Uh, we could have multiple. <laughs> okay. But essentially, it's the belief that Jesus has a divine nature forever. And Jesus has a human nature at the incarnation. These two natures combine in the one person of Jesus. So we get the term hypostatic union, thanks to the debate we'll be discussing. So essentially, Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. He's both totally. And to be fair, this, that's a pretty complicated topic. We don't normally think of something being 100%, 100% that challenges us mathematically. Um, a concept that can be helpful to try to imagine this, which I'm sure has its flaws, just like all of the Trinitarian uh, uh, images have their flaws. Uh, I'm sure this one does too, but I find it helpful to just start to think through this. I've heard the hypostatic union compared to light. Light is a particle and light is a wave. It is both. And so to me, that that's helpful to understand a little bit how this hypostatic union can be understood. But again, we worship a God who is bigger than our own brains because we are the created ones. So it's okay that it's a little complicated for us. All right. So now let's get into the heresy. Our first heresy for today is Nestorianism. As the name would imply, it was founded by Nestorius, who was a 5th century bishop. He affirmed Jesus' human nature and his divine nature, but he believed incorrectly that Jesus' two persons, his divine nature and human nature, were distinct persons. He believed that Mary only birthed the human Jesus, that Jesus was then indwelt by God rather than already being God and human. So, and here's a quote. The man Christ was not God, but God-bearer, a possessor of the Godhead. Christ is worshipped not because he is God, but because God is in him. The strong point in Nestorianism is that it seeks to do full justice to the humanity of Christ. At the same time, it goes contrary to all the scriptural proofs for the unity of the person in the mediator. So this heresy really focuses on Christ's humanity, and it acknowledges the divinity, but has them as two distinct persons. So the downfall here is it overemphasizes humanity over his deity. Yeah. So, and I've seen Nestorius somewhat praised because he does recognize 
that he's God and human, but then he like separates it. So what's interesting then is we get some overreactions to Nestorius's theology. Andrew compared this when we were talking earlier to overcorrecting in traffic. Or uh, for any of you musicians, if you are practicing with a metronome, as you always should, and you realize that you are behind or ahead of the beat and you go to correct, and you can sometimes overcorrect there. So you go from rushing to too slow. So there is overcorrection in a lot of ways, including theology. And so we can understand that it's very easy to be like, no, 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 that's that's definitely not it. And then we end up like pushing ourselves too far away and suddenly we're back in a different camp of heresy, um, gone too far past um, orthodoxy uh, because they were trying to react to Nestorius. And that's exactly what happens in Eutychianism. Eutychus is a monk. I love what Burkhoff says. He ha- says he has anti-Nestorian bias. So he did not like Nestorius. He did not like his theology. Did he did not, not like, like him, him, Sam, Sam I am. I am. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like our siblings. So namely, he did not agree with the two distinct natures uh, in the at all. Um, so, and he did not agree, especially with the two persons, but also with the two distinct natures. So basically what Eutychus believed was that Jesus's human nature was absorbed by his divine nature, which created a third unique nature. This is very easy to understand. I kind of get where he's trying to come from. It like creates something new um, from two things. Um, and I learned a new word thanks to uh, reading. There was, it said tertium quid, and I was like, what the heck is that? So I Googled it, um, and I looked at a very... Uh, solid source wikipedia which says that tertium i don't even know if i'm saying that right tertium quid refers to an unidentified third element that is a combination with two known ones so thanks now i learned a new word can you say tertium quid (laughs) um so what burkoff has to say about this he says quote he was of the opinion that the human attributes were assimilated to the divine in christ so that his body was not consubstantial with ours and he was not human in the proper sense of the word because he was a third unknown unique thing basically so the major downfall of eutychianism isn't just that he denied the two persons which which was correct um we do not believe that jesus is two different persons but the downfall was that then he went a step further and denied the distinct natures of christ trying to combine them into something new and every time I think about someone becoming something new. I think about, I don't know if you've seen that show Arrow. It's just, I had to become someone else. Something. I don't know. It's always what it makes me think of. So it's something unique, something that had not been before, but that denies the distinct natures of Christ. So we've got all kinds of debates going on. Um, We've got Eutychus. We have Nestorius. We have plenty of, plenty, 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 plenty of Orthodox people. And we have many other heresies. And so the church decides that it's probably time to meet and talk about this and figure out what exactly they really do believe about Jesus's natures. So there was a council in Chalcedon in 451 AD, and they met, they debated, there were brawls. I don't know if there were brawls, but it sounds funny. Um, And they came to a conclusion. And instead of trying to summarize and bullet points what they concluded, I have just taken a quote, thanks to Burkhoff, um, from the council itself. 
and so I will read that for you so you can see what their conclusion was. So we have Nestorius again saying that Jesus had a human nature and divine nature, very good, but also that Jesus's divine nature made him one person and human nature made him another person. And so it was really two distinct persons and Mary only birthed the one human Jesus. She was not the mother of God. She was the mother of the human Jesus. Um, and so we sort of believed that Christ, um, like he says, is worship, not because he's God, but because God is in him. And then we have Eutychus, who is saying that, no, there are not two persons, which we say correct. And he goes, in fact, there's not two natures in which we're saying, what? There's one new nature made from the two, this third unique nature. Um, and so he ends up denying the distinct natures of Christ. So after all of this, after all of the debate, this is what the council in Chalcedon in 451 concludes. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and also truly man of reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with all of us according to the manhood and all things like unto us without sin. So we have Jesus really is God. Jesus really is man. He is just like he is of the same stuff as God and he is of the same stuff as humanity, but he doesn't sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God. So they're like, take that, Nestorius. According to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, take that, Eutychus, um, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurrent in one person in one substance not parted or divided into two persons but one in the same person take that in stories the only begotten god the word the lord jesus christ as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So, Jesus is God, really, same stuff, made up of the same stuff as God, whatever that is, Godness, made up of the same stuff as human, humanness, and those two natures combined into the one person of Jesus. Two natures, one person, and what they're saying here is, we believe this because this is the same stuff that our Holy Fathers, so the... um those prior to them in the faith believed and that is supported by scripture. So they're appealing to church history and tradition and to scripture, which is a great, um, the two really the primary ways when you're having debates of how to look at what is the truth around these theological debates, what does scripture say, and then what is church history said? And that's exactly what they did. You know, I don't think that's a creed we ever recited in church service. No. <laughs> it's essentially, you know, some people said this. Well, that's heresy. Here's what's right. <laughs> you know, so I'm not sure this is actually a creed. I could be wrong. I don't think it is. But it's amazing. The more I'm studying heresy, the more I'm learning that's exactly what creeds are. They're like, <laughs> da, 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 <clears throat> Aries. Aries <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> is wrong. There may be some of you who believe this. Talking to you, Arius. Well, <laughs> that's not true. So, unfortunately, this debate did not end after the Council of Chalcedon. We're not going to get into those other heresies today. 
but um, people continue to debate the nature of Christ. And we'll get into some of that because uh, people are still debating the nature of Christ, even though it's been 16 centuries since this council met. So we're going to get into that, talk about why the heck does this matter today, right after our next segment break. Newsflash. So now it's time for Newsflash. This is the part where we usually have some sort of advertisement, talk about our newsletter, all sorts of things we fill in here. But today we have some very special news. Specifically, Leah has some very special news. Yes. So by the time this episode comes out, I will be 15 weeks pregnant with my first child. Um, We just found out that we're having a little girl. So um, some news that we've been uh, sitting on for a while, but wanted to share with you guys. So my husband, Phil, and I are both very excited and um, we look forward to meeting her in January. And Andrew's going to be an uncle. Yes. Uh, And it's been determined that I am to be the fun uncle but like the fun uncle who makes cool toys. So I guess I need to learn how to make toys. That would be, I mean, that would be pretty cool. I'm like an elf. <laughs> as long as you're not like the Uncle Andrew from Narnia. Yes, there will, as much as I like rings and guinea pigs, uh, we, won't, we won't be doing any experiments. You won't be sending my child to another world on an adventure. Only, only imaginary. Only not imaginary literal. adventures, yes. <laughs> not literal. <laughs> yes, Andrew will be quite the funkle. So anyway, that's been Newsflash. Newsflash! Newsflash! And we are back talking about how these ancient heresies in the Council of Chalcedon of 451 relates to us today. And I realized I, we were talking about how scripture supports this orthodox view of Christ's two natures in one person, but we didn't actually talk about the scriptures themselves. So I'm just picking one that I think highlights it well, and that is John 1, which is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I just think it's one of the most beautiful things um, in scripture. So I'm going to just skip around John 1 um, to get to the verses that really, I feel like, showcase this. So I'll start just in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word means is logos, which he referred to, uh, used to refer to Jesus, by the way. So where does Jesus? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Same nature. He was with God in the beginning. So that's verse one. And then we come down to verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. So we have the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was human. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. You really should read John 1 if you haven't recently, especially since we usually harp on context and I just read two individual verses. Uh, It really is a beautiful passage that I think expresses Jesus's divine nature and his human nature so well. But that being one person, the word this logos, as John calls him. So yes, this really is supported by scripture, um, though it be continually debated, in fact, even still today. So I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to see a theme with a lot of these heresies. Yeah. We've talked a a lot about the Trinity, and you do an excellent job of explaining that every time. We explain it almost every time. We didn't this time, but we explain it almost every time because that is so crucial. And we see in a lot of these heresies, they arise from people trying to mess with that, like Arianism's 
no, Christ was not divine. And then we had uh, you know, Nestorianism. They were two distinct persons. Uh, Eutychianism. Uh, one absorbed the other and created a whole third one. Um, so I think <laughs> what we need to, uh, a big takeaway is when we're thinking about Christ and his natures, don't separate them. I, I think it's fairly clear if you uh, separate them, you get into heresy land, which is not nearly as fun as Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, of course, they're two different natures, but when we separate them into two completely different people, two different persons, which I have seen people doing even today, they'll talk about Jesus the man and Christ the God. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Slow down the crazy train. <laughs> this has been settled for over 16 centuries. Um, I have some compassion for the those in the 5th century. I have way less for those in the 21st century. And that's why this is so important. This is why we need to study these ancient heresies, even though they're over 1,600 years old. There's more recent ones we'll get to, but um, that's why we need to study these is because people will still claim to separate Jesus's human nature from his divine nature entirely into two different people. And so that's why we need to study this, because then when we're in these conversations, you could say things like, I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking about the Council of Chalcedon, and how they actually debated these things, and their conclusion was that scripture and church history supported the fact that Jesus had two natures in one person. And they're like, oh, really? Wow. See? So useful. I just walked you through the conversation. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll say, oh, really? Wow. That'd be good. Yeah. So anyway, that's been a apologetic simplified now. Um, <laughs> so that's why it's so important to study these heresies um, and recognize the debates that have already happened so you can see why we believe what we believe and that the churches have debated the nature of Christ and the nature of the Trinity a lot. And so by studying these, it can give us a better foundation to understand these complex uh, concepts ourselves. So thank you so much for listening. Um, if you haven't already, you can go over to patreon.com slash Leah D Chapman and support this podcast. Uh, you know, I, I am carrying a child, so we need all the support. We can get. No, it really does help the podcast. Uh, we are getting more and more supporters and we really appreciate it. And it's allowing us um, to continue to do the work we do without some of that financial pressure. So thank you so much for listening and God bless. Apologetic Simplified is a part of Leah Chapman Ministry Productions. To learn more, go to www.leahchapman.org. And thanks for listening.